Okay, turn with me to James chapter 1. Last week we began and got down to verse 4. Uh, we'll pick up and get from verse 5 to 12 this morning, and it's the second half of a study that we are calling Instruction in Trials. James is the writer. James is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, he is also the leader there in Jerusalem, and we believe that this was the very first book that was written uh, in the New Testament. So this is the first uh, piece of scripture that the church received since uh, the book of Malachi. So uh, pretty exciting um, to think about that as you, you read through it. And this is a book that I, often you'll hear people like, James is my favorite book. And I understand why, because it's, it's super easy to access what it's saying, because it's, it's full of exhortations and examples, and, and so our mind easily wraps around, go do this or don't do that, um, but there's a, there's a beauty that's also found in those books that are a little more in-depth, like one we just finished, right, Hebrews, where you've got to really dig in. You've got to dig into the Old Testament. You've got to follow the, the, the argumentation that the author is going through. And so I'm grateful for both. But we are here now in James chapter 1. And I want to just give you three of the points that we had picked up in those opening verses last week. And that is that we are to remain joyful there in verse 2. And our trials remain joyful. Um, uh, that which means when it says count it all joy, the word count is a very deliberate word. It's not like, oh, I had this thought pop in my mind and then we follow it. No, count is a deliberate intellectual process that you engage in. And I think when you think of the context of count in the midst of various trials, you can understand why that doesn't just pop into your head. I ought to be joyful right now. Now, the Spirit of the Lord may be doing that, but the natural man or woman does not have that thought. It's something I have to be deliberate and intentional about in my thinking. Secondly, we, are, we need to grow in endurance. This is what trials will do in us. It'll help us to have the strength we need for um, our entire walk and journey with the Lord. Um, and then we also spoke of how um, we are in verse 4, to let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. So the Lord is really working out maturity and, um, and strength and ability for us. And you know, we think about that example of King David, right? He fought the lion and the bear when he was tending his father's sheep. But those trials produced endurance and made him complete and uh, perfect so that when it came time to face Goliath, the Lord had built into him those things that he needed. And that's what God is doing in your life. He's working in those trials and in those hardships. And are they difficult? Yeah, that's why we call them trials. Are they uh, necessary? Well, yeah, the Lord does this in our heart and our life. But the one thing that we emphasized a lot last week, and I want to say it one more time, is when we talk about being joyful in our trials, we're not saying be joyful for our trials. It's in our trials. Right? So, in other words, that sickness, that doctor's report, um, that family member that passed away, the business that's failing, whatever trial it might be that you're going, you're not like, oh, I'm so glad that this is happening. No, the attitude is, Lord, I am so glad in the midst of this thing which is causing me grief and sorrow that I can rejoice in you that you are bigger than that, than that trial and you're going to work this out for some end that will bring glory and honor and strength into my life. So this is the exhortation. I think we often get this mixed up. And maybe sometimes we even go to encourage somebody and we don't, we don't get our, our words exactly right. Well, be joyful. 
So the thing is, yeah, be joyful that God's going to work in the trials. It's not necessarily, hey, be joyful that this terrible thing just happened to you. Um, so this is how we are instructed. Now we're going to get three more points here in verses 5 through 12. So let's let, read verse 5 together. It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So in our trials, um, our fourth point is ask God for wisdom. Ask him to give you instruction. The word for wisdom here is the Greek word Sophia, and it means that we sh- it's, it's not just a gathering of information. It's not just knowledge. It's not just intellect. It is a practical, skillful application of what you know. You know people that are really smart, but you wouldn't let them touch maybe something of yours like, yeah, they're, they're brilliant. However, they have no practical sense. We often will, will say this of people. Um, that's the way of us who are not geniuses feel better about ourselves. Um, is to talk about those that are our geniuses, but they have no practical sense. And we were aware of that, right? But... What God is saying here is that he wants to give us the practical, skillful uh, ability to make decisions in the midst of trials to come out on the other side in a way that is, um, is helpful to us and will fulfill his purposes. So it's the how-to of life, wisdom. And the Lord says that we should ask of him and that he will give it liberally. He's not going to give it back, give it to us in little increments. We'll give you a little bit. I don't want you to, to you know, be able to figure everything out. No, that's not the Lord. And he says, you know, give without reproach, meaning that he's not going to rebuke you that you don't know and don't understand. As you come to the Lord, you're like, well, Lord, I need some help. I need some wisdom. You don't know these things? What's wrong with you? Now, you may feel that way with your boss, You may even feel that way with a teacher or a professor, or I don't know, your mom or your dad, and you're afraid to admit that you have need, and so you kind of just fake it, and hopefully it all clicks in together in the end. But you don't have to do that with God, do you? You can just come. He already knows that you don't know anyway, so it kind of makes it helpful. But we just come to him and say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what to do here in this circumstance. And it's like, wow, you should know. You've been walking with the Lord so long. You've been doing this and that. You've been reading. I should know this by now. But if you don't, it's okay. You just come and you ask the Lord. Say, I don't know what to do. I don't know what you want from me. I don't know what you require. I don't know if it's this way or that way. So, Lord, would you give me wisdom? And he is happy to give us wisdom for every circumstance of life. Now, we have the Bible that gives us practical wisdom as well. But here, although we believe that the word of God is inspired and is true and that it's how we are to live our life and it's how we know how to be saved, we also recognize that not every circumstance of your life is going to be spelled out in all of its, you know, detail. Like, well, I've got a decision to make about this job or that job. Is there a place where I can read and it'll tell me which job to take? Well, no, not directly. But you can find plenty of principles that are found in Scripture that will help you know what to do. So right, let's think about, you ladies are about to start your study in Esther. So let's think about this. You know, is there any practical application, any principles you can glean from the life of Esther for yourself? You're like, well, no, because I'm not a queen and I'm not going to ever talk to a king. So there's no hope for me there. I don't need that. No, no. Is there a principle? Yeah, there's a principle. And the principle is this, is that I need to be willing to speak up the truth, even if I'm afraid of the outcome that might come to my life. 
Now that's a principle you can pick up, pick up and there's a lot of application for that, right? You're thinking, some of you are already thinking about how that would be helpful in that particular circumstance. So we look for the principles of scripture and that's, that's how we can gain some wisdom is reading those scriptures and finding that out. But also the Lord will give you wisdom by his Holy Spirit. He'll help you. He'll guide you into the decisions that you should make. So I prayed for, um, you know, the, the explosion of growth that we've had that we're so thankful and humbled for uh, before the Lord for. But it's like, what do we do with it? How do we respond? Do we do this or do we do that? Because, I mean, the Bible doesn't say buy this or sell that or build that. Okay, so what are we doing? Well, we step back and we're like, well, um, do we feel like the Lord is telling us we should accommodate this growth? Because it is not automatic that you just get bigger. I know that's not like a real popular thing in the whole church growth movement, but that this was not a designed, let's get big church, okay? So what happened? So do we, do we accommodate it? And so we pray through that. And it's like, well, the answer, well, we feel like we should accommodate as much as we can. Okay, so then what does that look like? And what are we going to need? And we're going through, we're praying through all of these things, and we need the wisdom of the Lord. And so we seek him. And the Holy Spirit can lead us and guide us into those decisions that we ought to make. And to me, that's just fantastic. That's fantastic. That God will guide our lives in the midst of, and listen, I don't want to equate the growth of the church with the trial because it's not, it's a blessing. But in those places where we need wisdom, how wonderful that you can call upon the God of the universe who says, I will give you everything you need. I'll give you an abundance of wisdom. And we should feel encouraged to come and ask the Lord in those trials and those difficulties. Here are two verses for you to think upon. Because if you're in a place where you're not calling upon the name of the Lord, you're not seeking him for wisdom in your life and in that trial you're in, well, hopefully these will, will motivate you. Jeremiah 32, 19 says, You are great in counsel and mighty in work, for your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men, to give everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doing. Wow, that's the Lord's heart for you. He wants you to know what to do and he sees you. And that is an important thing, right? For your eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men. This is the thing that captured Hagar's attention, right? When she was sent away by Sarah and Abraham and said, just go, take your son and go away. And then she ends up seeing God. She says, I've seen the one that sees me. And that, that changed her life. And it will change your life when we realize that God sees us in our circumstances. This has become one of those um, lines that kind of has entered into our culture recently. It's like, I see you. Something like, I, I see you. And, you know, I think there are times where people don't feel seen. And that we want to know that somebody actually realizes that I'm drawing breath on planet Earth and I've got things I'm facing and going through. Does anybody know that I'm here? And so we, we've picked this up as a, as a line that will say, as I see you. And that is meant to give encouragement and affirmation. But long before I have seen you or she has seen you, God has seen you. And he looks upon you. And he knows what you are facing and what you're going through. And he gives counsel. 
He gives his wisdom to you on what you ought to do. Now, the next verse, very similar. Isaiah 28, 29 says, This also comes from the Lord of hosts, who is wonderful in counsel and excellent in guidance. Wonderful in counsel, excellent in guidance. He will bring you the comfort you need, and he will tell you what to do in your circumstances. The God of the universe is going to do that. And here in the New Testament, we are told that we should call upon him and he will give us wisdom. So this wasn't just some Old Testament truth. It's a New Testament truth too. Call upon God and he will speak to you and he will give you wisdom. But I want to just ask this question. Do you believe that his counsel is wonderful? Do you think the things that God has to say to you about your life and how to live it and the trials and the tribulations, do you believe that it is a wonderful thing? that he would speak to you? Do you believe that he's going to give you excellent guidance? You can have all kinds of knowledge about many different subjects, but when you face a trial, that's when you're going to find out what you really, really know practically. And in those situations, you may feel like you don't have what it takes, but you have a wonderful counselor. You have somebody that's willing to give you excellent guidance. When we first began this church, there was a, a trial that had happened in the church, and I was I mean, we, I started when I was 27 years old, so I might have been 28 or 29 at this time. And um, yeah, I was a rookie pastor. Um, no doubt about it. <laughs> was new to leading a church. I'd been in ministry for probably, you know, by that time, seven years. But leading the church is very different than being on staff and supporting the pastor as, as, and the elders as they lead the church. And so this was new. So this thing came out. Well, I'm going to call my pastor. I'm going to call Brian Broderson. He has sent us out here from Calvary Chapel Vista. Um, I trusted his wisdom, his years of experience. Um, and so I'm like, I'm going to give him a call. And he actually was a missionary over in um, England at this time. So I picked it up, got the codes, dialed all the numbers that I needed to dial. And as um, I was waiting for it to connect, the Lord said, hang up the phone and ask me what to do. And it was so clear. And I did. I just hung up the phone. And I'm like, I'm sorry, Lord. I, you know, I, I had thought through the problem. I had put it into, a, you know, a, these nice little compartments that I could transfer the situation in conversation over into his, um, you know, uh, vast wisdom. And then he could tell me what to do. But I hadn't done that with the Lord. And the Lord is like, ask me what to do. And so I did. And I asked him, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? And then he just gave me the, the, you know, the roadmap for that circumstance. But he wants to do that with you too. He wants to do that with all of his children. He wants, to be, wants you to get his wonderful counsel. He wants you to get excellent in guidance. And that mistake that I made is a mistake that all of us need to be warned by, that we don't do the same thing. And that is run to people before we run to God. If you're more interested in hearing what I or she or he or they have to say than what God has to say, you've got to change that. You, you've, got to, you've got to rearrange things. You need to hang up the phone. And you need to go get on your knees before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry that I'm not asking you what you want and what you think. You know the future. They don't. They may have experience. But Lord, you can tell me exactly what I should hear. You can guide me into those perfect things. And so we must be careful. Uh, I think 
seeking godly counsel is something that clearly is commended in Scripture and I think is a good thing. It can be helpful, and there can be safety in the multitude of counselors. All of that is true. So I'm not saying don't talk to people that are godly. I'm not saying get, don't get counsel or guidance from others. What I'm saying is if Jesus is not the first one you're calling on, we have to change course. If you're more dependent upon a man or a woman than you are upon the God who created you, redeemed you, and indwells you, we've got to change that or we're not going to handle our trials well. Because he's worthy. Now listen, there's a warning to make sure we don't go um, you know, to brothers and sisters in the Lord before going to the Lord. But there certainly is a, a warning that should be heard to not go to the world for wisdom on how to live life. You have the scriptures. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. You have the promise that if you ask, he will give you wisdom. You have the support of godly people around you. And so we don't have to go to the world to find out how to be obedient to the Lord and how to make those life choices that um, impact our walk with God. You've got to call upon the name of the Lord. And so you've got to do this. And listen, Just because somebody is a professional or just because they have a license or because they have studied and they have a degree or they have a practice, it does not mean they're going to give you godly counsel. And it doesn't mean that the counsel they give you is going to be right. We've got, but God's counsel will always be right. Oh, so you're saying don't go to a counselor? I did not say that, but I am going to say this. If you're going to a counselor that does not know the word of God and is trying to tell you how to live your Christian life, you need to find another counselor. They're out there. The pastors on staff, go to the women's ministry, go to the men's ministry, pray with brothers and sisters. Let them call upon the Lord together. There's a story early on in ministry. Again, a brother came in. He was a brother, and he just got his practice going. And he said, hey, I just want to let you know you can send all the people that that come to you for counsel. You can send them to me. I'm sure you don't have time for that. I'm like, well, actually, I do. Church is small. You know, and I'm like, I do. But I said, oh, you know, here you are. Let me tell me a little bit about yourself. And so he began to share and talk to me. And I said, okay, well, let me just ask you this question. I think this is like such an easy question. So he's a, he says he's a Christian counselor. And I, I do believe he's a Christian. And I do believe he is doing counseling. But they weren't this. And so I just I said, well, let me ask you this question. If somebody came to you as a believer and they said that they were dealing with fear, what would you say to them? And I go, actually, more, I said, what scriptures would you take him to? And he says, I don't know. And I said, well, I mean, you know, and I tried to help him out. He's like, he didn't have an answer. And then I said, well, if somebody was anxious, what, what scriptures would you take him to? He goes, well, I, I, I haven't really studied that. And I said, well, you're saying you're a Christian counselor. I mean, are you giving counsel that's Christian? You know, and he's like, well, no, 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 I'm not doing that. And so I I reached onto, reached into my shelf. I pulled out this book as a handbook for you know, Christian counselors by Billy Graham. And there's every t- all these different topics of fear and anxiety and suicide. And you, you just go on, on and on, just a whole bunch. And I said, well, let me show you what I would do. I would open this book. And I look, and it says fear. And there's all these verses. I look at these verses, and I begin to find a way to give this explanation. And then he goes, can I see that? And he grabbed it and looked at it. And he's like, wow. I'm like, it's yours. So this is my point. It's not to humiliate him. I mean, it's not the, the case. I mean, he humbly received that, you know, and um, I hopefully he used it well. 
But I'm trying to say this, just because somebody says they're a counselor doesn't know that they know the wisdom of God or the scriptures. You've you got to make certain of that before you submit yourself to what they're going to speak into your life. Because they're giving you counsel. And you need to make certain that it's good and it's sound and it's from the Lord. If you came to a person and said, hey, I need my brakes changed. And they said, huh, oh, good. I've been waiting for an opportunity to do one of those. Are you going to let them change your brakes after they say that? Yeah, I've, you know, I've been watching some videos. I think, I think I've got this one. It's like, ah, you know what? Never mind. I'll find somebody else who knows what they're doing. So we evaluate people on so many different levels. But now when it comes to the matters of our soul and walking with the Lord and following him, don't just open your life to whoever's available. Find somebody, a man or a woman, if you're going to step in that, that's going to give you wisdom. And I, and I just want to give you the warning to not run to brothers and sisters before you run to the, to the Lord. And that when you run to people is to make certain that they're going to give you the counsel that comes from God, that they are in equal step with you trying to find what the wonderful counselor has to say for your life. Because they will give, there's plenty of bad advice. I listen, I, I, I mean, I know this because I've been doing it for a long time. The things that I have heard that people in the church and outside of the church, the counsel that has been given to people about how to deal with situations, it is mind-boggling that they would feel comfortable to even open their mouth to say anything. And so you, you have to compare it to the word of God. And if it doesn't agree, then, then God wins. God's wisdom is what you need. So you, you're in trials and difficulties. And what you are told and commanded to do is to pray to the Lord and say, give me the next practical step for what I should do with my life. So I, I just, I cannot... I cannot warn you enough in this area. Now, I'm not saying don't go. I'm saying, who are you going to? And do you trust them more than you trust the Lord? And these are things that we've got to work through and call upon him. Well, he says that he's going to give it liberally. The next thing we read in verses 6 through 8 is oh, how to handle our trials is, is that we should not doubt. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a man, like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Faith is an important part of prayer. And we'll find James return to this in the last chapter as well, about the importance of having faith when we pray. When we call upon God, he wants us to trust him. Jesus could do no mighty deed in his own hometown because they did not believe. Now listen, I'm not a word faith, you know, preacher. You might have noticed that. What is word faith preaching? Well, word faith preaching is this. I believe that when I speak words, that they have a powerful force to create a reality. God in the beginning said, let there be light, let there be this. And those words actually created something. So the word faith movement in the church says that if you say something positive and you believe this and you believe that, then it's going to happen. But if you say something negative, then that's going to happen. And so you'll even hear some people say, hey, don't ever say you're sick because you're those words are powerful and you're speaking, you know, that sickness into existence. Uh, not true. Not true. That, I, don't, I don't buy that. You, you don't have Bible verses for that teaching. And I, listen, I'm not saying they're not saved. I'm just saying that's not true. 
So I'm not a word faith guy, but I do believe that faith is absolutely imperative in our walk with the Lord. And that we should be putting faith not in our words and not what I can do, or even putting faith in faith, but I put my faith in who? In the Lord. Do I have faith in me having enough faith? Is that where my faith is? Well, if I have enough faith in this one, then my faith is in faith. No, my faith is in a person. It's, it's in God who is, who is faithful. We sing of that faithfulness. And so don't doubt. We need to believe him and trust him. I believe one of the ways, not the only way, but one of the ways in which a lack of faith quickly manifests itself in our life is when we get angry at God. Now listen, I could name some other points too, but I just felt led to talk about this one. Is that when we get angry at God for our trials or whatever we're facing, it is clear evidence that I am not trusting him and believing him. And so I've got to deal with that. And let's, let's be very real. Anger towards God can come in so easy in our life. So I remember when Tyler was a little boy, I've shared this story before. It's my son. He got hurt outside playing in the yard. And I'm going to talk about it because I hate the story. I don't even like to talk about this story. So I'm going to tell you what happened. Um, but he ended up getting hurt. And you know what the first thing was that came into my mind? God, how could you let that happen? That's what I, didn't like, I didn't even have to warm up my mind at all. I didn't have to contemplate the deep mysteries of God and his sovereignty. The first thing that popped into my mind was, why would you let that happen? Now, I immediately repented of that and, um, and said, I, Lord, I know you are faithful and good. You know, here's the deal. Sometimes the thoughts that come into our mind are not our thoughts. Do you like the thought? Do you turn it over? Do you play with it? Do you develop it? Then it's your thought. But not everything that pops into your mind is yours. It's a fiery dart from the enemy, maybe. It's just a, our fallen nature that's so quick. But let's talk about this idea of being angry with God. God, if you love me, you would not have let this happen. I, I think he probably finds that so incredibly offensive. I gave you my son. I let him be beaten on the cross for this moment in your life, <laughs> for your pride, for your anger, for the way in which you have sinned. He suffered, and you're going to say to me that I don't love you, that I don't have a good end, and so we have to take that disbelief, that anger, and we need to, we need to repent of it. If you are angry at God today for what he has done in your life or is allowed to happen in your life, and you question the faithfulness of God, you need to stop doubting that you've got a good God, that he is faithful, that he is true, and that he loves you. Because if you have that kind of doubt in your life, then what's going to happen is you're not going to be given the wisdom to know how to make the next decisions in life. It has a ramification for you and for me and for us. Now listen, there, you know, we've heard people, and I don't, I don't know that I've heard this lately, but I can remember people saying, hey, if you're mad at God, I just go, I encourage you to go get in the room all alone and just yell and scream at God and tell him what you really think about him. I don't recommend that because it's disrespectful. Because it doesn't show the love and the, the reverence that he is deserving of. Listen, I didn't even do that with my, my earthly father. If I had done that with my earthly father, I would not be standing before you right now. Okay? That, that would not have gone well 
any day, under any circumstances. God is faithful and just and true. So should you be honest with the Lord and how you're feeling? Yeah, let's be honest with them. Lord, I don't understand why you're working this way. I know you're faithful and true, but I don't understand it. Lord, it feels like you should have stepped in and done something, but Lord, okay, you didn't. So help me through this circumstance so we can still show reverence to the Lord while bringing those questions. But really, the idea that says, I think you should just you know, yell and scream at God and tell him how you really feel, there's a, there's a biblical word for that. Do you know what that biblical word is called? Blasphemy. I think the Bible says don't do that. Don't challenge God. And there's ways in which you can answer the question, ask the same question when you don't know. When Mary found out she was pregnant, she said, really? Uh, how can this be? I don't understand it. When John the Baptist's father, Zacharias, when he was told that his wife Elizabeth was going to get pregnant, and he said, oh yeah, How? And then he was silent for a year until that child came. Same question, different attitude. So we, we can ask the question. Maybe you've been told you can't even ask. No, you can ask it because he already knows what you're feeling and thinking. But we do it humbly. We hold our heart and our mind in check. But God wants us to be believing and trusting him. Anger towards God is a lack of faith that he's going to work, that he's going to move, that he loves you. And so if you're dealing with this anger because of what you've gone through, you need, you need to repent of it. Like, you don't know what's going on. Yeah. See, the anger's still there. I don't know what's going on. Or maybe I do. I don't know. Have you told me? Then I do. But what I'm saying is that God is good, and he's loving, and he's kind, and he's going to see you through. So you, got, you have to repent of that anger and let go of it. And trust him and believe him. Turn with me to, uh, it's going to be up there on the screen, but I want everybody to turn there. Just, you need, a, you need practice. Turn to Matthew chapter 8, <laughs> verses 23 through 27. Yeah, turn the pages. If you're swiping your phone, do it real loud so we can hear the swish. I don't know. They probably, there probably is like an app that has the sound that when you swipe, it sounds like the rustling of Bible pages, but... Jesus is with his disciples and says, Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea. And that's the way trials often come, suddenly. So that the boat was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. <laughs> really? The boat was covered with waves and Jesus is asleep? This is not just normal sleeping. I think this is, a, this, he's trying to communicate it's all right. That's okay. We keep on reading. Verse 25, Then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us. We are perishing. In some instances it says, Do you not care? But he said to them, Why are you fearful? O you of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea, and there was great calm. So the men marveled, saying, Who can this be that even the winds and the sea obey him? Jesus didn't want them to be afraid. Jesus does not, want, does not want you to be afraid. He wants you to rest like he rests. There's a verse in 1 John that says that we are to be as he was in this world. In the midst of the storm, Jesus was at peace. And we are to be as he was in this world. 
We are to be at peace. We are to rest. He says, why are you afraid? Well, I mean, I told you to go with me. I mean, what do you think is going to happen? I, I said I would, I would be with you. And the Lord has said to us, they neither, neither leave us nor forsake us. So moving on from this point, let me just wrap it up with this. Do you believe that God is good? Do you believe that God is in control? Do you believe God is faithful? Do you believe God is powerful? Do you believe that God sees you? Because if you believe those five points, then you're going to handle the trials well. You're going to receive the wisdom you need, and you are not going to be doubting. You'll be filled with faith. And then lastly and quickly, verses 9 through 12, we get our last point. And that is that we should stay focused on eternity. You know, he's going to talk about the poor brother, and he's going to talk about the rich brother. The poor brother has a trial of being poor, but God is rich in kindness and goodness towards him, and so he can re rejoice. The rich brother is blessed with the trial to learn everything we talked about, right, of being made perfect and complete, that he would gain endurance. So he's rich, and he has these things, but he's blessed in his trial because there. So both of them are blessed in their trials, this is the point, but let's read together. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation, because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen in a burning heat than it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed, or oh, how happy is the man who endures temptation. For when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. If you're a believer, then you're loved by the Lord and he's given you a promise. You're going to have the crown of life. This is not the diadem. This is not like a, a crown of uh, kingship or you know, authority and power. This is a crown of life. It's, it's the crown that would be given in the Olympic Games to the person who won their race. It's a victor's crown. This is the one that's being talked about. And when you end this life in Christ Jesus, you're going to receive the victor's crown for the race that you have run in Jesus, and that is eternal life. And, and not, it's not just a, a duration of time, right? You know, it's like if I was to tell you right now and you're in the middle of a storm, hey, I'm praying for you to live for the next 500 years. You'd be like, I don't want to live for 500 years. Are you kidding me? No, I don't, want, don't, I don't, don't pray for that. I don't want to live that long. Endurance in this life, right? That quantity of time in this life is not necessarily a blessing. But when we talk about eternity, we're not talking about simply a, an amount of time. We're talking about a quality of time. And that is there's no more pain. There's no more suffering. There's no more sorrow. We'll be made perfect. We'll be in the presence of the Lord. We will see him as he is. We will know him even as he knows us. And so there is something that's beautiful about receiving this crown of life. But what James is saying to both the rich brother and the poor brother is keep your eyes focused on eternity. You're going through trials now. There's a blessing in every one of those trials that you're going through. But what you really need to do is endure in that temptation, whatever it is, because you will receive the crown of life. It's so important that we keep an eternal perspective in the midst of the trials and the difficulties that we go through. You have often comforted yourself in the physical realm with something you're going through because it's, not, it's only for a little while or it's not going to last forever. It's just, I mean, you know, nobody goes to the dentist for fun. You know what I mean? 
It's like, yeah, can you give me another one of those shots in my gum that just, I just like it. I mean, they say, no, you, you do, why would you submit to anybody that wants to stick a needle in your gum? Can you feel that right now? Can you, I mean, that's, it's just a, or, you know, and then all that they do. I mean, I'm, if you're a dentist, we love you. We just, we don't like you, okay, but we love you. But, and you don't like it when anybody does to you. But, you know, you, you go through that because it's only for a little bit. But if they told you, okay, you're going to feel this Novocaine shot and the pain of the Novocaine shot for like the next two weeks. Dentures aren't bad. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I, mean, it's like, I, I don't know that I, if I was going to have that kind of pain like every time I went. But you, you comfort yourself. It's like, well, it would be just for a little while. I'm just, just, it's just, just for a couple of you know, seconds, and it is. And then, then they're able to do what they want. But we, we, one of the ways in which you've comforted yourself is just for a little bit. I'll just I'll endure this for just a little bit because then it'll be over. But the ultimate application of that is I will go through these trials faithfully now and I will endure and I will be approved because one day I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Think of that, you know, a scale, two plates. And what Paul is saying, the trials of this life are not even worthy to be set on the scale when eternity is being talked about. It is so much greater. It is so much more wonderful. They should not be even entered into in the same conversation. It's not like, well, trials are bad. Well, yeah, but the glory is going to be good. And we're like, well, which one's going to, you know, win? No. He's like, the glory of heaven is so much more fantastic than anything that we will go through in this life that it's its, its own thing. It's its own category. And so you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. You have trials now. And maybe they are severe trials. And we do have brothers and sisters in this church that are facing severe trials of life and death and many other things. You know what? It's not going to last forever. Endure, hold tight, hold fast, learn what you need to learn, give glory to God, ask him for wisdom. And one day, in this life, many of those trials will pass, and if they don't, then you will be in the glory of the Lord, and you will have done it, having been faithful, and you will hear the most amazing thing you will have ever heard in your life. You will hear the words of your Savior say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And that's how we are to endure our trials. Father, thank you for your kindness and your goodness. We ask, Lord, that you would speak to us in these difficulties and in these trials. Lord, we pray that our eyes would be set and fixed upon you. That, Lord, we would not run from those lessons you're teaching us. But, Lord, it is hard when we face pain and difficulty in this life. And so we ask that you will comfort our our hearts, and our minds. Give us the grace to stand fast. i just give you a moment to just lay it down before the Lord. Maybe there's, like, there's been some anger in your heart towards God. Hey, repent of it. He, this world's fallen. It's not because of him. He's the one that's making it right. Trust him. Cling to him. Decide that you will, you will rejoice because of what God's going to do through these trials you're in. Not because of the trial, but because of what he's going to do through those trials. 
Ask him to give you endurance, and he will do that. God is faithful. Stand fast and rejoice. This is the word of the Lord.